leadership is not about you're in charge, you have a business card, you have a title. It's about how are you influencing other people positively and making other people better to influence positively in the right direction. Welcome to the Leading Edge Podcast, your source of insightful and inspirational conversations to help you and your program achieve more. I'm Brian Spielman from LeadingEdge.online with co-host Tyler Whitcomb, former coach, AD, and current Snap Mobile customer evangelist. Today we're talking to Jamie Beckler, a former college basketball coach, professor, and administrator who's now a professional speaker, author, and podcast host, sharing his experience and knowledge of effective leadership with everything you've done, all your experience, all the programs you helped and have interacted with, like where are you kind of at right now? What's the idea that's fresh in your mind, in your space and kind of leadership and the leadership development and the communication work that you do? Yeah, great, great question, Brian. And I'm really passionate right now about helping coaches and leaders to understand that it's their responsibility what happens in their programs. It's their responsibility if their culture is not what they want, it's their responsibility to start guiding it in that direction. And that so oftentimes we say it's not our fault. It's not our fault we lost. It's not our fault Brian did something boneheaded at the end of the game that cost us that game. And it may not be your fault because you're not out there playing, but it is your responsibility to put Brian, to put Tyler in positions to maximize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses. It is your responsibility to teach them so well that it's hard for them to screw up sometimes, that you introduce some adversity, some stress, so that their training level is such that they don't break down when pressure comes in a game. That is your responsibility. I think our kids all of a sudden start to be a little bit more inspired by us when we stop pointing the fingers and start pointing more thumbs. When the thumb goes back at us and we say, hey, what you did is not acceptable. Like you've got to take ownership for that mistake you made, but I didn't equip you. I didn't empower you. I didn't enhance your abilities to be the best that you could be. And we're both moving forward. We both need to be better. And mm. I'm going to do everything I can to help you. When you say moving forward, I do think that as a leader, taking ownership can feel like taking blame and therefore it's a mark against you. But for me, ownership is the way forward. It's I'm now owning the solution going forward. And so that's always been really helpful as a leader. But so I'm curious, you mentioned that going forward, how have coaches, educators, leaders who you're working with, as you're trying to instill this idea, how do they receive it? Because it can be, there can be, it can be defensive, but I'm just curious what you see when you are sharing that message. It's different. It's a different perspective. It's a, you almost have to have this paradigm shift. And as a coach, you have to be coachable yourself. We all want coachable players. But sometimes we forget we need to be coachable too. And we'll talk about, oh yeah, I lead by example as a coach. I'm an example. I'm a role model. But sometimes we don't lead by example in the area of coachability. We're not coachable. And so the coaches that I work with, the leaders that I work with, if they're coachable, they start to latch onto this. We can't do anything about the past, but moving forward, how could I have prepared Brian better to put him in position to not make that turnover. Or even maybe I had him in the wrong position. Maybe Brian should have never had that ball in that situation. Maybe Brian shouldn't even been on the basketball court or whatever in that situation. Moving forward, what can I do to take ownership in the solution? And you ask about how coaches take that. The coachable ones, the ones that actually care about being their best, they take it. They're like, yeah, I've never thought about that. And then they start looking at things differently. But great coaches, great leaders, it's not about your playbook. It's not about any of your expertise. It's about what they can execute. 
once again, I said this phrase earlier, maximize strengths and minimize weaknesses. How can you minimize the chances for failure? How can you maximize the potential for success? I had a player, I banged my head against the wall. She kept screwing up my plays. She'd catch the ball and instead of doing what the playbook said, she would try to drive and she would try to create a shot for herself. The thing is I recruited her. She scored like a bajillion points a game. She was an amazing scorer. She was a natural born scorer. But as a freshman, she was playing a specific position that in my playbook, in my plays, said to pass the ball. And she kept screwing up my plays. The thing is, I wasn't putting her in a position to succeed or use her skills. And so I'm getting mad at her because she's not doing what she's supposed to do. But I didn't recruit her to catch the ball and reverse it. I didn't catch her to be a passer. I recruited her to be a scorer. And so I wasn't putting her in a position. I wasn't maximizing her success or chances for success. Coaches, we need to spend a little bit more time thinking about these things for our players and for our teams. And that's why I didn't succeed in college is the coach, he didn't build it around how I score. Made me a passer. (laughs) I think my coach lasted longer because he made me a passer. That's right. I have a similar college experience where I learned the hard way who was in charge. I'm curious, though, you touched on it at the very end. You said, you know, and coaches and leaders, educators, anyone in a leadership role needs to understand those things. So it's not their playbook, but they understand their personnel. So for that leader who's not in their head, and but maybe at the beginning of their journey of developing that awareness or making that part of their program, what do you advise people to do to start building that understanding? I had the fortune of interviewing a guy named Dan Hughes on my podcast, and he was coach of the year with the Seattle Storm in the WNBA. He was hired. They had been in last place. They hired him. And they won the WNBA championship the very first year. He was the coach there. And they didn't change out their players a lot. Most of their players remained from the last place team to the first place team. And one of the things he told me was when he went in there, it was all about maximizing each of those players in the plays that they were running that worked and the skill set of each of those players. And he had very few of his own plays that they used. Like he had been a very successful coach, but he didn't bring in his own stuff. He wanted to utilize what they had done in the past so they were familiar with, but the stuff that had worked and the stuff that would augment their skill set. Because he felt that it was easier for him to learn 15 new plays or 20 new plays or a new playbook than it was for 15 athletes with egos, with emotions, with different skill sets to learn his playbook. He didn't want them to learn his playbook. He wanted to take, because they already had skills. He felt like they just weren't being utilized enough. Contrast that, I took over a team that had won a championship once. Took over this team. I went in, they had almost everyone returning on their team from a championship team, a conference championship team. I went in there. I thought I knew exactly what kind of offenses and defenses they needed to run. I brought in this awesome playbook that on paper, was perfect for the skill sets of all these athletes. We went from first to worst in my first year. I totally buried them. I was a terrible coach with that team because they fought me because what they had done worked. It would have been easier for me to learn their playbook and very slowly and gradually implement some of my concepts, not all my plays, but some of my concepts, maybe a couple plays here and there. I broke what didn't need breaking. I, I turned off a bunch of players and lost them because I tried to implement my playbook, my thoughts, 
I didn't analyze the situation very well. So those are two stories, very similar in terms of, it's not always about you as the coach. It's not about you getting your way. There's a saying, intelligence or knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing it doesn't go into a fruit salad. As leaders, we need to be more wise than we are intelligent or knowledgeable. So any young leader or even an old leader, really honestly evaluate situations and say, am I doing what's best or am I doing what I want to do? Am I doing it so I get the glory, so I'm right, so it's my plays that work, so I look like I, I was the one that, that made this big turnaround with this team. Dan Hughes, when he went to the Seattle Storm, it wasn't about him making the turnaround. It was about those players improving and maximizing their potential at the WNBA, and those players made the turnaround listening to your players or student athletes, I'm curious how you as a coach and AD and then as a consultant and um, resource to other programs help or recommend inspiring student leadership, right? Because that kind of peer leadership, that captain class, like really getting everyone in the program to own it. What's your experience with that? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm pretty passionate about you're missing the boat as a leader if you're not developing other leaders, if you're not empowering your people to be leaders themselves. I think too many of us, and I was the same way, especially my first few years of being a head coach. My goal in the leadership realm was to get compliant followers. You may get some temporary buy-in. And I do think there's a distinction between buy-in and ownership. I think what, now I use the word buy-in a lot myself because it's easier sometimes, but buy-in, you're still trying to convince someone to do something. You're trying to still persuade somebody to do something, to get their buy-in. When you're ownership, you're all sharing in that. There's no convincing to do this. You're all sharing in the outcomes and sharing in that journey. But anyways, if you want that ownership, if you want a strong, healthy culture, you've got to get as much buy-in or as much ownership is better word as possible. So you have to look for ways to empower your kids. Some kids you might give them a little bit more rope, a little bit more leeway, a little bit more responsibility, empower them a little bit more than some others. So if Tyler is not a very good leader, that doesn't mean I don't empower him. I just toss him a little bit of a bone. So it might be, hey, Tyler, can you go tell the guys we're going to meet in the locker room instead of the weight room? Okay, that's not a big deal. And if he screws that up, well, you know what? I'm also telling Brian to do the same thing. So I got a backup plan. That's not a big deal. But you empower your people just a little bit if they're not trustworthy. You feed them a little bit of crumbs and then, man, you catch them being good. You high five. Hey, Tyler, thanks so much for telling the guys. Oh, yeah, coach, you're welcome. That seems so silly, but you start off small. Tyler's the ninth grader that never plays or he's the ninth grader, never plays, has a bad attitude. But you know what? He just got a high five. He just got a, congrats, a thank you from the coach for telling the guys we're meeting in the weight room instead of the locker room or whatever. You empower guys like that. And it could go all the way up to the other extreme where you're empowering Tyler to, to plan a practice, to lead a practice. Or, hey, Tyler, can you take the guys to the community service event? All pile in his car or whatever. Or can you plan this event? Like it could go a wide spectrum. But sometimes what we do is we say, oh, Tyler's not a good leader, but Brian is. So I'm not going to empower Tyler, but I'll empower Brian. And it's like, okay, well, how is Tyler ever going to learn that stuff? So find ways to empower your people as much as possible. And there's so many things we do as coaches that are not things that are 100% that we have to handle. I really like the, the ownership in effective doses. I've done it 
right a few times and done it wrong a lot of times where it get all juiced after reading something like, yeah, I'm going to be totally student run and just create. Or, and then I've also done, like you said, where this guy's totally got it and you just pour everything into them instead of sprinkling it around with just manageable doses for everyone. And I think I've never really heard it explained that way. Whatever the minimum effective is for each person, give them the opportunity to be empowered. So Jamie, Leading Edge, it's really centered on sharing experience and best practices around three core areas, regardless of activity type, and that's leadership, peak performance, and program building. So for this little section, we just want to hit one question from each. So starting with leadership, and these are intentionally broad questions, so just take them you know, wherever. But to you, uh, what makes a great leader? The ability to make others better, to serve others and to do whatever it takes to influence positively people in the right direction. Leadership is not about you're in charge, you have a business card, you have a title. It's about how are you influencing other people positively and making other people better. And that's influence. So it doesn't matter if you're the ninth grader sitting at the end of the bench near the trainer and the, the water cooler, you have some friends that you can influence. So we're all leaders because we, we all can influence people and make things better. I love that. I'm obsessed with this leading from a non-leadership role thing because I think so many people think, oh, I don't have a role, so I can't do anything. And one of my favorite quotes around that is the leader is someone worth following. You can be quiet in the corner, but if you go about your business a certain way, guess what? You're a leader. I'm curious, as the leader of a program with participants, students, student athletes beneath you and driving, driving that group, how do you think about mental health as it pertains to peak performance? Yeah, if, if you're not feeling good, physically, then it's going to be hard to perform at your highest level. And so many of us coaches too, are all about mental toughness, mental, just suck it up, suck it up, you know, and I'm being very simplistic, but so many of us are ill-equipped to deal with mental health issues. And so we have to be very coachable and humble to know that we aren't going to be able to handle everything that comes our way. And that kids do have issues that, that people do have mental health issues. And if we want the most you know, out of our athletes, if we want them maximizing their potential and performing at their optimal levels, then we want them to be healthy, both physically and mentally. And we may need to have them seek professional help. We may need to have them sit out of practice every once in a while. We might need to address some of these issues and not just say, you just need to be tougher. I agree. I remember I used to always tell my players, leave everything at the door, come in, work hard. We'll talk about it after practice. It's such a bad message to send, but I sent that message for years and it took me a long time to understand that. Um, well, and, and Tyler, it, a couple things can be true at once and there, there can be truth to that statement. Some kids might want to leave it at the doorstep. They might be willing to, and they embrace basketball. They embrace that practice. Other people, they might not be able to leave it at the door. And I'm not one to say that one's healthy and one's not, but different people are going to deal with different things differently. And that's why it's beyond us to be the experts at mental health, but we also have to do all that we can to provide resources and provide the help that's needed and the support that's needed for our different athletes and get to know them as well. The more we get to know them and the stronger connection we have with them, the more they're going to feel comfortable coming to us and being honest. Yeah, that's awesome. So real quick, just to wrap up the third of the, the three categories of leading edge. The third is program building. And we think about that as building sustainable and lasting impact. How can we reach the community? How can I reach more student athletes? So for you, when you think about that definition of being a program builder, 
What comes to mind is the most important factors for a leader who says, yes, I want to be that. I want to have scalable impact and I want to be a program builder. Yeah. What's your why? I know it can be cliche, especially since Simon Sinek wrote the book about know your why, but really why are you doing what you're doing? What's your purpose? What's your mission as a coach? Most of us, it's not to get rich. Very few of us will ever get rich. And I shouldn't even use us because I'm not rich because of coaching. So most of us, our why is we want to give back. We want to have an impact. Hey, somebody invested and poured into me when I was young and I became who I am today because of somebody else. And so I want to be able to return that favor and pay it forward or some variation of that. I want to make a difference. When you remember your why, then all of a sudden your program is going to tend to take on a life of its own like that. It is going to tend to all the things that you do in your program are going to stem from that. This is a long-winded question for you, Jamie. I know you're an author. I love all your books, The Bus Trip, The Leadership Playbook. There's another one. You have another one coming out, but the captain is one that just stuck out to me because you're building so many captains on a team. You talk about Brady. He's a fighter pilot. Um, and he goes on and he serves in the military, correct? And give me the background of that story and how meaningful it was along that journey of creating a captain along the way. Because it, it relates back to when he was playing a high school sport and he was a captain. And there's multiple captains on the team. He instilled captains. And then he was able to f- be a fighter pilot in the military. And because of that experience that he had in the past, he was able to really succeed. Yeah, the the book is primarily for people that have positions of leadership. So coaches, captains on a team. And yet the main character in the book, Brady, he had always been a star. He had always been a captain. We all know those guys, those guys that have everything together. And then he becomes a hotshot fighter pilot, but he doesn't actually understand leadership. He doesn't actually understand it's about making others better. It's not just about making myself good. And you see this oftentimes you might even see a guy who is the hardest worker on his team, but they don't make others better. They don't help make anyone else. But then they sit back and they say, I'm doing my job because I'm leading by example. If no one else follows me, that's their fault. And so I wanted to write a book that kind of encapsulated that of you can be talented, you can have status, but that doesn't mean that you're actually leading your teammates and making them better. Just because you have talent, just because you have a captain title doesn't mean that you are actually leading in a positive way. I love that. Okay. So I think to me, so much of being a program leader or coach is ideas in and ideas out inspiration, because you generally, even if you're brand new, you generally have an idea of what you want to do. There's some idea of how you want to build things, but so much of it is, is honestly to me, inspiration to shine a light on the knowledge. And so looking at your current book that's coming out, The Coach's Bulletin Board, Insights, Thoughts, and Quotes to Inspire Your Athletes. I think that's in line with that, right? What kind of brings you to your best as a leader and can keep your fire burning? But would you talk a little bit about that book? So I'm curious to hear how those things connect. Yeah, it, as a coach, I always had a thought for the day. I had a quote of the day that athletes had to memorize it. And I'm like, hey, let's put out a book for coaches and or so of these Some of them are quotes. Some of them are my thoughts, excerpts, whatever. And they're broken down by category. So if you're a coach and you need something by a certain topic, you can check it out. And it's pretty simple, but I think it can be impactful if you like quotes, if you like motivational type things. I think quotes for coaches, the reason they're so motivating and exciting is it's really survival information distilled. I think those kind of resources are really powerful. I was excited to see this. It seems cool. So thanks for sharing about it. Thank you.
Yeah. So last thing you mentioned right now, yeah, you're on the road. August is a busy season for you as a guest speaker, as a leader, helping leaders with their programs. So is there any insight or trend that you're seeing of the groups that you're working with and what they care about and the message that you're bringing to them right now? One of the things I'm seeing is actually is a little concerning is that this has probably always been the case, but coaches are being under-supported and overworked now more than ever before. And, and so we try to encourage them. We try to, hey, you have a huge impact on people, but they're just trying to survive sometimes. And so if you're a principal, if you're a superintendent, if you're an AD, do all you can to encourage your coaches. If you're a coach, try to do everything you can to encourage your athletes, boost them up, catch them being good. Because that's the second part. What I'm seeing is athletes are less engaged than ever. It's just that it's a reality and they are disengaged and we have to find a way to reach them. And if we're boring as coaches, if our drills, if our practices, I was asked a question yesterday, coaches meeting, I had all the, this school's coaches in there. And one of the coaches asked, what do you think about extending practices? What do you think about two hour practices, three hour practices, all that kind of stuff. Essentially, I said, I think we should actually go the opposite way. We should cut down our practices. We should be much more prepared and be able to be much more succinct. But what we do is if we're not getting a drill, if we're not getting it in practice, we tend to take longer. Hey, we're going to do this until we get it. Why would you think a 15-year-old with a 2.9 second attention span, essentially, why would you think that longer is better for them? And especially if we're boring them to death, why would they be paying attention to us? And so for whatever reason, our youth and the youth that I'm seeing, I have to be more creative in my presentations. I have to be more entertaining. I have to have better stories. I have to walk around more. I have to raise my voice or lower it at different times because I got to keep their attention. It's our responsibility to find ways to keep them from being bored. Be more creative in practice. Have more fun. You know what? Running that drill for 10 extra minutes probably is not going to help you as much as, dare I say, Let's bring in some ice cream. Let's have some popsicles. Let's have a shooting contest, half court shots. Hey, buzzer beater contest in practice better people that run in practice. This is going to alienate a bunch of listeners, but really you're that bad of a coach that you have to do conditioning drills for conditioning sake. Like, like really you're, you're not creative enough as a coach to figure out ways to tire them out and build their conditioning within the drills that you do. You have to have separate punishment or separate running. Like, why would you think that they would like that? And why are you not a more creative coach? I know that's harsh, but we have got to do a better job of engaging kids that are not engaged right now. I had a high school coach that ran us to death, just ran us all the time. And I remember when I got into my first year of college, we never ran. And I remember talking to the coach one time. I was like, how can we never run? He's like, you're getting conditioning by every drill you're in. I don't, I'm not going to waste time with running. It's not track practice. And that always stuck in my mind when I was a coach. It's just be creative. Like Jamie said, be creative. It's a a great, I love it. Great bookend to what we talked about. And I appreciate that, Jamie. So then wrapping up, thank you so much for the time. Honestly, your content, what the expertise that you're bringing to this interview and to, to programs across the country is awesome. It's what's needed. We're super fired up about it. Could you tell us and Leading Edge podcast listeners, where we can go to find more from you and check in on what you're doing. Yeah, I appreciate that. On social media, at Coach Beckler, I do a lot of tweeting. And coachbeckler.com is where they can find all my books. The leadershipplaybook.com is our online program, but they can pretty much at Coach Beckler on Twitter is where they can go to, to find 
daily positive insights and find my website and get books and podcasts and stuff. Awesome. And the Coach's Bulletin Board coming out early September. Insights, thoughts, and quotes to inspire your athletes. I'll definitely be getting one, and and I'm excited to, to follow up with you. So thank you again. That's it for another episode of the Leading Edge Podcast. Till next time, head over to leadingedge.online where you'll find more content and conversations to help you build a more successful program. Thank you for listening, and as always, stay sharp.